guests appear on the Smile Center hotline. Now back to the Gabe Kuhn Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN. Back rolling on the Gabe Kuhn Show, 92.9 FM ESPN. And joining me now, previous to her, uh, her stop here in Memphis, at Hilton Memphis, the Memphis Touchdown Club. If you need tickets and information, go to memphistdclub.com. But Alyssa Lang, SEC uh, Network studio host, joins right now on X at Alyssa Lang. Alyssa, how's it going? Thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, it's it's great, right in the middle of college football season, right? And like you said, just a few days away from my trip to Memphis. So I'm very, very excited to uh, get a great barbecue stop in Memphis right? in the middle of my SEC uh, journey here this fall. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what, what are the plans? What are the plans for uh, for stops? Where are you yeah, headed? So- I I've actually will. I'll take any advice that you guys will give me. It's okay. been actually a few years since I've been to Memphis. Uh, I did the bowl game there several years ago for ESPN radio. And, and I think I, gosh, I think that was like 2019. So that might've been the last time that I was there. And I want to say I hit like three or four different barbecue <laughs> places and I don't even remember which ones, but they were all amazing. So you guys tell me where I need to go when I, uh, when I land on Monday afternoon. Quite flank. Quite frankly, we got rendezvous. Central. I mean, honestly, everyone's hog's good. Every everyone's got good hog. I got. Right. I got to be completely honest with you. You can't really. You can't go wrong. You cannot go wrong. It's 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 all delicious, and I think uh, Central and Rendezvous were two that. Now that you say that, I definitely hit those. And I'm I'm like a sides gal. Obviously, <laughs> obviously the pork is important, and the burn right. ends and the brisket, whatever we're doing, but. Is the mac and cheese good? How are the baked beans? What does the slaw situation look like? Like that's just as important to me as the actual meat itself. I know some people are barbecue purists and they don't care about the sides, but I want the whole package. No, I hear you. I, I completely <laughs> understand it. I can. I need to. I need to overload. I need to absolutely overload. Um, but your travels have already. I mean, you've been to Athens this year. Going to Starkville this weekend. Where were you uh, week one? Yeah, so I started week zero at Vandy for the Hawaii at Vandy game. And then week one, I was in Starkville. Last week, I was in Athens. And then last night, I got into St. Louis. And I'm currently sitting at my hotel in Columbia, Missouri for K-State Mizzou coming up tomorrow. So uh, I've, I've gotten to truly go all over the SEC already for some really great games and some programs that I think are trying to not only shock the conference, but but maybe the world this year. Not necessarily the Georgia Bulldogs. I don't think there's a lot of shock left there, but more so Mississippi State and maybe Missouri tomorrow if they can pull this one off over a ranked K-State team coming to town. And you got to let me know about Mizzou and what you think of that team because uh, next week's in St. Louis, this is going to be my Memphis Tigers going, uh, going there. Now, I still am kind of disappointed that they decided to uh, move that game to St. Louis this offseason. And sort of made Memphis pay and didn't get didn't give them the home game, um, but what what do you think about this Mizzou team and what should I know going into it? What should our our, our listeners know that are Memphis? Yeah, fans? I I think this is a scrappy Mizzou team that is still trying to like a lot of other teams in the country find their identity, right? You know, as we sit here having this conversation, we still have not had our meetings yet with the coaches and right. coaching staff, which really give us a good idea about what to expect on the field, not only tomorrow, but for the remainder of the season. But 
Uh, as many know, Missouri came into the year with a quarterback battle that eventually Brady Cook ended up taking over after the first two games. And I think that was obvious from watching the difference. Brady Cook just looks like a guy who's been here a little bit longer, was not hampered by an injury throughout the offseason like his competitor was. And, and I think there's still areas, obviously, for him to improve. But I, I think Missouri quietly has a really, really talented wide receiver room that they're very excited about outside of Luther Burden. Obviously, mm-hmm. Luther Burden is a name that everybody across college football knows. And I think the big story for them, at least for me and, and what I've looked at from last year's Missouri team to this year's Missouri team, is how often are they going to target Luther Burden compared to last year? Because it felt like sometimes that we'd, we'd get done with a Missouri game last year, I'd get done watching it back going, how are they not targeting him right. more? And it feels like that's been something that they have done out of the gate this year. Uh, obviously, uh, Cody Schrader, that running back that they are very confident in putting the ball in his hands. But Missouri is really going to be tested as far as running the football on Saturday because two games into the season, Kansas State comes in with the number one rush defense in the country yep. right now. So I think Brady Cook's going to be tested. That arm, that accuracy, that ability to create plays with his feet, with his legs, when the pocket is collapsing around him is going to be tested. Can he distribute to receivers not named Luther Burden if K-State really is plugging up those rush lanes? So I'm very optimistic that we're going to have a really fun matchup here in Como. Obviously, these two teams hate each other, but uh, it'll be interesting what you guys take away, you know, from Saturday going into Memphis next week, like you said. This is an old uh, Big 12 matchup. I miss I miss the old Big 12. I mean, obviously we have we have uh, realigned and we're all over the place right now. We'll get to that here in just a second. But what do you make of Eli Drinkwitz's job so far, though? Good, bad, or indifferent? Yeah, you know, I think Eli Drinkwitz obviously had uh, the challenge cut out for him when he took this job over, right? One of the things that we've looked at, certainly when you look at his resume when he first came to Como, was – this recruiting magic that everybody talks about. And it wasn't until recently that I didn't realize that he hadn't had a winning season yet in Columbia, Missouri. You go to a bowl game and you think, okay, well, they've made a bowl game. They've made it to the postseason. You kind of forget that a six-win season isn't necessarily what fan bases are looking for. But you also can't deny the progress that they've made on the recruiting trail. I mean, again, going back to somebody like a Luther Burden who had – power five offers from some of the best schools and the best conferences sec included decides to stay home not only stay home but in the age of the transfer portal everyone was from my understanding walking on eggshells around here once we hit the postseason last year wondering if there was a chance that burden might hit the portal just because it's the world we live in and the fact that he didn't i think says a lot uh you know can't i i can't talk too much about recruits until they're signed but you obviously see you know the names floating around social media that have gotten commitments from throughout fall camp and things like that leading up to this early signing day and you're looking at a Missouri class I think I looked it up the other day on one of those on three or rival sites Missouri's 2024 class is already looking like it's going to be absolutely loaded and again those numbers are so early and it's so early to tell to make predictions there but the fact that you have Eli Drinkwood's name with some of those highly touted recruits. Missouri is a program where it's going to take time. I say the same thing at my alma mater at South Carolina. It's not going to be an overnight turnaround for a Shane Beamer led team. It's going to be years of proving yourself on the recruiting trail, showing these kids 
that you're moving in the right direction. So I know the wins and losses aren't necessarily there in the way that fans would like them to be. But I always go back to recruiting and the fact that, you know what, Drink was able to look in the mirror at the end of last year and say, I shouldn't be calling the plays anymore. Mm-hmm. Brings in Kirby Moore in an age where we're trying desperately to get Jimbo Fisher to just say whether or <laughs> right. not Bobby Petrino is calling plays or not. Like, the Drink, Drink never left that up for debate. He said, hey, I, I got to make a change. I got to be better. I got to be a better coach. And I have a lot of respect for that. Um, and I think just that lack of ego in that department and, and wherewithal to make that decision says a lot for, for what he envisions for this program. And you mentioned the recruiting, and I, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up uh, Williams and Winari, who was the number, he's the number one D lineman in the 2024 class who just committed there. He's an in-state guy. How much is drink being helped? How much is anybody in Mizzou being helped by that uh, uh, sort of new bill that got signed um, that basically says if you commit or sign to an in in state institution, you are allowed to earn money from NIL in high school. I feel like that is that's a strange that's a strange quirk that Eli Drinkwitz has to use at his disposal. Yeah, and, and you know, I don't I don't have numbers in front of me necessarily to to quantify how that has helped specifically, but I can't right. imagine that it hasn't, right? I mean you're in this age, again, talking about the transfer portal where kids see an opportunity to set themselves up for success moving forward. And, and some of these kids, you know, the, the guy that you just mentioned, you know, we're talking about him as a highly touted recruit. Like, we'll probably be talking about him from an NFL standpoint, right? But that's not always the case for some of these guys. And I think that's something that gets lost sometimes in the day and age of college football is sometimes your hometown hero, your fan favorite isn't going to play at the next level. But he's a guy that might be cashing in on NIL deals and local businesses and things like that. For these guys who are looking at this as an opportunity to, like I said, set up their own future, set up their family's future, why not get a jump on that now? If Mm -hmm. you know you want to stay home, if you know that this is where you want to go, like you said, it's an added perk. And the fact that Eli Drinkwitz has been so, so open and upfront about trying to make sure that Missouri, the state of Missouri, is on the forefront of making sure that these guys get the best deals that they can and are in the best business position they can be, I think also is going to say a lot to his recruits who are saying, okay, I'm not playing for a coach who has said, you know, well, the day the players get paid is the day that I'm not <laughs> coaching anymore. Right. We've heard that yeah. before, right? And if, if I'm a – and, and said person is not having their best year this year, to say the least. Yeah, you know, like, take that for what you will, right? <laughs> and, and and players are smart. They see that. They're on social media. They, I believe, if, I mean, I, I would say if it were me, if I were 17 and I were getting all these offers, I'd want to play for a guy who wants me to make as much money as possible while also grooming me for the NFL. So uh, I think he's doing everything he can in the right way to try to make Missouri even more uh, attractive place for for kids to stay home. Talking with Alyssa Lang, studio host at SEC Network on X at Alyssa Lang. Um, but that does go to show that that bill that's been signed into law in the state of Missouri just goes to show how many different policies we have state to state when it comes to NIL. We, we have, I, I think I saw Congress, I think it was Tuberville and Mansion tried to get involved with the uh, a transfer portal in NIL. We have a lot of people that, that may be making more policy on a national level, but what gets us to where we need to be in college football, in your opinion? I know that is an impossible, impossible question to answer just one way, 
but but what gets us to where everybody is sort of operating under the same umbrella and the same rules and, and we have more uh, uniformity? Yeah, it's like you said, it, it's an impossible question because, gosh, if you ask me one thing about politics or government process right. or anything like that, I certainly can't answer that. But I, I've always been in tune with uh, some of the comments that Nick Saban makes surrounding this. And I know, you know, a lot of people will say, well, Nick Saban, he's at the top of the world. You know, all he cares about is Alabama and its future. And that's just not true when you listen to the way he talks about college football and he wants it to be a competitive space, not just for the SEC, but for the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. And part of that is Congress, you know, getting involved and some of the commentary from coaches talking about calling on Congress to get involved, to make some more of those just blanket, like you said, laws as far as governing this. You know, I think we can all admit that we needed to be in this space as far as players having the opportunity to monetize their skills and monetize their their likeness. But Mm -hmm. we just kind of jumped into the deep end without a life vest and knowing what we needed to do next. And by the way, there's not a ladder to get out of the pool. So unless you're really, really, really strong and maybe you have somebody (laughs) pushing you up out of it, you might not get out of that space. So, uh, you know, we, we just ran into it a little bit too fast. Again, I don't know what the answer is as far as if this is something that will ever happen. I don't know. College football can be such an area of overcorrection, right? My fear is that, we will get to a point where the NIL scale is so tipped in whatever direction that now people are going, all right, we've, we've got to overcorrect. We've got to pull all the way back on this because now we've gotten too far down the rabbit hole. And some people might think that that's already the case, right? You talk to coaches around the SEC and around college football, and I have conversations with a lot of these guys, and some of them are saying, hey, I'm, I'm talking to guys more about NIL than I am about our game plan on Saturday, and this right. is crazy, but that's the world we live in. So uh, I, I don't know how quickly that next step is. I don't necessarily know what it is, but I do know that the powers that be in college football, it, it's not something that's far from their minds on a daily basis. So I would imagine we start moving in some direction soon just to try to get some of it under control. Yeah, I would I would I would have to hope so. And I think it has to be done on the national level, but I don't expect that to be done in a timely manner. That's just not how those things right. tend to work. <laughs> um but uh, you talked about jumping into the deep end with uh, NIL and all these different policies, one-time transfer the whole thing. How about realignment? How how far into the deep end did we jump in that in that pool when it comes to uh, the Big 12 upping their numbers. We have 10 schools that are leaving the Pac-12. We have an 108-year history that's about to be just about erased. And, and and honestly, it's kind of crazy to me because they're going to turn into dust likely next year. And I think this is one of the best years, at least quarterback talent-wise, that I've ever seen in the Pac-12. But what, what do you think about all the different changes we've seen this offseason in realignment? It's really sad, isn't it? Like the Pac, the mm-hmm. whole Pac-12 situation. When we all woke up that morning and realized what was happening, I, I, it made me sad. Just changing college football as we know it, and then, like you said, you know, at that point we were previewing the season, getting ready for the year. Week one starts, and all of a sudden, Pac, the Pac-12 was what undefeated <laughs> after one week. I mean, it's yep. it's crazy to think that this time a year, two years, three years from now, like we're, we might not even be talking about the Pac-12 at all anymore and that's that's a that's a pretty wild situation to be in you know realignment when it first sort of started with with my sort of niche that is the sec it was exciting you know texas and oklahoma are brands that 
truly fit the SEC, and it's hard to make the argument that they don't just from a location standpoint, from a fan base standpoint, from how good they are, not just in football and basketball, but when you look at softball, baseball, and how highly those two programs compete in every single level. So it was like, okay, this is great. If the SEC wants to expand, these two teams make sense. What bothers me is just the location being thrown out the window. Like at least Texas and Oklahoma still sort of in the SEC footprint, certainly with the state of Texas. Obviously, OU adds another state to the mix for the SEC. But I grew up an ACC fan. Both of my parents went to Virginia Tech. I I was in Blacksburg every single weekend. And now my dad's like, so what, we're going to have to fly across the country to play college? (laughs) Like the the all-coast conference? Like this doesn't make any sense. So. That's that's the biggest part for me. I think that maybe maybe is small, but it bothers me the the most when it comes to realignment. It's just the ge- the geographical part of it. And you've heard some of these other uh, coaches for other uh, sports talk about that too. You know, I was a soccer player growing up. Would have loved to play college soccer. I, I can't imagine what the men and women's soccer team schedule is going to look like going forward for some of these Big Ten schedules for the ACC now. That's going to be weird. But I also know that so much of why we love college football are those border rivalries, those in-conference rivalries, those your state versus my state, because we border each other. And, you know, K-State and Mizzou are constantly on the recruiting trail against each other. I don't know what a California school and a Virginia school necessarily, like, have in common with each other from a hate standpoint. So. That that small element of it, the the location element, just from a rivalry standpoint and from a regional regionality of college football standpoint, was part of what made it special to me. Um, so that's been the most disappointing part. But I think it's just similar to the NIL and the transfer portal discussion. College football is changing by the moment, and if you're not down with that, you're going to get left behind. Um, should we think about the SEC when it comes to maybe expanding here in the in the next few years? I mean, I. I I don't think they're on bad ground by any stretch of the imagination. They have the second best um, TV media rights deal per year, you know, payouts for those schools. Uh, but they're getting Texas and Oklahoma involved. Do you think that there may be more expansion down the road for Greg Sankey? I mean, just sort of uh, looking at the landscape of college football, everybody else trying to strengthen themselves with the SEC go that route. Well, you know, I've learned over the last few years to not say no, absolutely. There's no chance of any of that happening. So I won't say that. But I also know that Commissioner Sankey has has talked about this a lot over the last six months to a year that he's always been somebody who is not he's never been felt like he's been forced to make a move based on what other people are doing. Right. You know, like even going back to the 2020 season. They marched to the beat of their own drum. Commissioner Sankey looked at the SEC and what the SEC needed, what the student-athletes needed to have the best situation that they could possibly be in, and they made a decision based off of that. There were no knee-jerk reactions, and I think this will follow a similar blueprint. I mean, with Texas and Oklahoma coming in and moving to 16 teams, that's a very strong conference from top to bottom. There's still Mm -hmm. scheduling that needs to be figured out you know, after the 2024 season and what that's going to look like. So uh, I I don't want to say there's no room for more expansion, but I also think that the SEC has put itself in a position to not need to expand anymore because it sort of feels like some of the moves that have been made by other conferences, maybe the ACC, have been reactive to, okay, we've got to 
get that many teams or we've got to get more so that we're just we're in that fight as well. And the SEC sitting there having made the move first with two really strong institutions, athletically, financially, and academically, saying well, we, we don't need to do anything else until we feel like we need to do anything else. So I, I still think they're in a great position. But like I said, given the uh, blueprint, who knows? I will not say it can never happen because I'll, I'll look stupid at some point in the future. Now it's time to leave the NIL and the, the realignment. I want to I leave that in the past. We do have ball that's being played, and we have seen uh, two weeks, uh, well, three weeks if you count week zero worth of ball. Um, and the SEC in those three weeks has struggled. I, I, I just to be the to be completely honest, SEC three and six versus Power Five competition. All six of those losses came by double digits. I'll get to the Texas Alabama game in a second. I think the ACC four and one versus the SEC. That's not usual numbers you see in in non conference matchups. What do you what do you sort of attribute that to the the early season struggles for the SEC? Yeah, so week one, I looked at it, and I said, you know what, I'm, I'm not panicking at this point. I think the SEC just happened to play the two best teams that the ACC had this year, and obviously Florida was a toss-up, knowing that mm-hmm. they were going across the country to a ranked Utah team, even without Cam Rising. I think anybody who's looked at this Florida team up close and personal knows that it is very much a work in progress for Billy Napier in year two. It, it had serious serious things that needed to be addressed last year and that's going to continue for a few years now that's been another program that I've said patience is going to be key for coach Napier especially when he gets in a few recruiting cycles so the Florida Utah game wasn't necessarily surprised about LSU Florida State I think was proof to the country that Florida State is a college football playoff team and there were areas of that LSU team that we knew could have been issues, the secondary first and foremost. They had to hit the portal hard, and for a team that has built itself as DBU over the last however many years, having questions about the secondary just wasn't something that I think a lot of people from an outside standpoint would have expected. So it wasn't necessarily surprised that Florida State won the way that they did. I was surprised maybe at some of the things that we weren't expecting that LSU needed to get cleaned up as far as Jaden Daniels maybe being on the same page with some of his receivers at times offensively. And then you look at South Carolina. You know, South Carolina is a team that was returning uh, some talent in, in multiple positions. They lose Nicky Minwari on the first defensive drive of the mm-hmm. game. He's become kind of the heartbeat of that defense, if you will. The offensive line can't protect Spencer Rattler to save his life with nine sacks that night. And it became clear that North Carolina is a really talented team as well. So week one, I wasn't necessarily panicking. South Carolina wasn't a team that I was necessarily going to be buying stock in before the season started. I was going to have to see a lot from them to start believing. And I didn't necessarily see it. Week two, to your point, was when we (laughs) sort of started to go, okay, Maybe the league is a little bit down this year. Maybe there are things that we didn't previously have to have conversations about week two that we are having this year. I mean, I can't remember prior to last season, the last two years, including this one, I guess, the I can't remember a time where we were having so many conversations about issues with the trenches at Alabama, issues right. with the offensive line at Alabama. And that was the case last year. And so far, it's the case this year as well. You know, I really thought Texas A&M 
would be able to go down to Miami and, and get a win over the Canes. That didn't happen. I was disappointed in the defensive aggression that I saw or lack thereof from Texas A&M against Miami. But I think Connor Wigman's a great quarterback. So all that to say, yeah, it's not been great for the <laughs> SEC. But I also am cautiously optimistic in thinking that a lot of the issues that we have seen for, through the first two weeks are things that can be addressed by the time we get into conference play. Georgia's going to coast. I think they're going to coast through Atlanta. I think they're going to coast through the college football playoff. They've got a very easy schedule this year that is up for a debate and a completely different conversation. But, yeah, it's, it's going to be very challenging, specifically in the West this year, to prove who's worth it and who's not, especially after the start to the year. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm just uh, – it's just strange because usually you talk about it being top-heavy. Right, and I think Georgia still is that team. I still think they're going to be phenomenal. We'll see what they look like. I think basically week ten against Tennessee, but Alabama, you just count on being there, and you already see a loss from a Big Twelve opponent on the road. And that, I mean, that was a twenty-one game home win streak, fifty-seven game non-conference game win streak. It's just it is it is wild to see Alabama already down, already having lost a game at this point in the year. Now, last thing for Alyssa Lang, a studio host. For SEC Network on X at Alyssa Lang, I have some friends that uh, go to the uh, that went to the University of Southern California. So, I, what's the real USC? South Carolina or uh, uh, Southern California? So, we like to say in Columbia, South Carolina, that we were a school before they were a state. So, <laughs> okay. that should tell you all you need to know. Okay, I think. <laughs> understood. Under that that resounding understanding now of who the real Mike USC dropped. is. Yes. <laughs> But, Alyssa, appreciate it. Uh, can't wait for Monday. Um, and also have a good weekend. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. That's Alyssa Lang at Alyssa Lang on X, studio host for SEC Network. ESPN does some work with SiriusXM as well. She'll be at uh, the Hilton Memphis for the Memphis Touchdown Club's eight-part speaker series coming up on Monday. Make sure you need tickets, information, go to memphistdclub.com. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers can get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Gabe K. That's my promo code, G-A-B-E-K. Again, G-A-B-E-K. And kick off the NFL season. FanDuel is the official partner of the NFL. You must be 21 plus and present in Tennessee. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call the Tennessee Red Line 1-800-889-9789. Now it's time for the Blitz. And uh, we have a new starter in Tuscaloosa. That'll be fun to talk about right here on 92.9 FM ESPN. Guests appear on the Smile Center Hotline. Now back to the Gabe Coon Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN. Disaster strike us at inopportune times. There's never an opportune time to have to deal with a disaster, but when you have those issues in your life, 
Service Master by Cornerstone is there for you. They're the largest franchise in the 600-mile radius. Uh, but don't just call them because of the largest. Call them because of the best. They've been awarded Service Master's Franchise of the Year Award, meaning they're the number one Service Master Restore franchise in the United States of America. And what I mean by disasters, if you have water damage, storm damage, you need mold remediation, you have a fire and there's smoke damage, Call Service Master by Cornerstone. No matter the place, no matter the size, they're here to help with the damage. It could be a school. It could be an office. It could be your residential properties. It could be your home. They will help with all of that. Tyler, the president and owner of Service Master by Cornerstone, and his team take pride in what they do. They respond in your time of need. They're here to help you at moments like this. Their motto is, we don't pray for disaster. We just pray that we get called when there is one. So remember the name, locally owned, locally operated, Service Master by Cornerstone. They're your helper in your time of need. They're your responder. And respond is an active word because their number is just that. 901 Respond. 901 R-E-S-P-O-N-D. 901 Respond for Service Master by Cornerstone. Now we're live from the Service Master by Cornerstone studios, and it's time to hop into the Blitz. Now, the biggest stories. Overloading the line. A bull rush of info. It's Gabe's Blitz on the Gabe Coon Show on 92.9 FM ESPN, Memphis' sports station. And always remember that the Blitz is brought to you by Sissy's Log Cab. We got Brad Carson in for the Blitz. Brad, what you got for me? So let's start with SEC football. It looks like we might have a new starter in Alabama as Tyler Buckner took more first team reps than Jalen Milrow in practice this week. Buckner expected to start against South Florida, How about that? I mean, here's the thing about Tyler Buckner. He was a four-star. He was an Elite 11 guy in high school when he came out in 2020. Like, I, I, I completely understand what his past tells us about what, quarter, what type of quarterback he could be. I mean, ultimately, he had a uh, scholarship at Notre Dame. It's hard to get a scholarship at Notre Dame at the quarterback position, and he got one. So I understand what he is as a recruit and what the upside was out of high school. But at the same time, what I've seen from him in college does not lend me to believe that he's a good quarterback. Now, I get that Tommy Reese is the OC, and I get that Tyler Buckner and Tommy Reese have a good relationship, and that's the guy that recruited him out of high school and did all these things. But look at what he did at Notre Dame over the past two seasons. He had he played ten in 10 games in 2021. He was 21 for 35. That's 60% uh, completion percentage, three TDs, three INTs last year. He played three games, 46 for 83, 55 percent, 651 yards, three TDs, five INTs. He's clearly got interception problems just like Jalen Milrow, except he doesn't have the legs. He's not athletic. And, and then going into this offseason, it was going to be Jalen Milrow or Ty Simpson. Ty Simpson's a former five-star recruit. Tyler Buckner, as much as he has that relationship with Tommy Reese, was never supposed to be in this situation. Now, if you're an Alabama fan, you hope, okay, in 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 practice, he's been showing up. He's finally turned the corner. You know, he has familiarity with the weapons on the outside. They can maybe run the ball better. That O-line will get it together. But I think you're being overly positive if those are your thoughts. Alabama has a quarterback problem, and we predicted this coming into the season. But it's already showing itself in week three. That's concerning. That's not good for Nick Saban in the twilight of his career. Do they have any offensive line issues? Uh, here's the thing. They have three guys over 350. They have really good guys up front. Caden Proctor is the starting left tackle. He was the number one offensive tackle 
uh, coming out of uh, high school last year, out of the state of Iowa. A lot of Iowa fans are mad that he he didn't land at Iowa. <laughs> Probably a good um, move still. But he he's a stud. Yeah. Uh, J C Latham's going to be a first round pick. Right. Uh, you you have uh, Darian Dalcourt who's going to be a draft. Like they have draft picks and they have up. a good yeah. old line up front. But they haven't really come together and meshed like like I thought they would early in the season. You saw that against Texas. Texas is defensive front. Their front seven got after them. Yeah. Fought force with force. Yeah, they may have a little bit of an issue up front right now, but I feel as if they're going to get better as the season goes along because they're just too damn talented. And they're going to get a lot of opportunities to run the ball, and mm-hmm. I, I think that they can get in, you know, find their way as the season goes along. But right now, this quarterback situation is brutal. Jalen Milrow, I, I try to be fair to every quarterback I watch, and I try to give honest opinions. He is not a good throw of the football. And I, I, I don't know what else to say. He's got a great deep ball, but he wants to uncork it every other play. Yeah. It's either run the ball or uncork a, a deep ball down the middle in double coverage. That's right. sort of the, the idea of Jalen Milrow right now. The intermediate and the short passing game isn't there. Maybe Tyler Buckner's better there. But I thought this whole year with the quarterback issues was going to be, okay, let's run the ball a lot more than we have in the past. Let's get back to ground control, play mm-hmm. good defense. And against Texas, I didn't see either of those things. I didn't. There's still guys running free in the secondary uh, when they're on defense. And offensively, they're just not running the ball with as much force as they have in the past, really, when Nick, when Nick Saban was running the SEC, running college football, the dynastic run, if you will. I do feel like you could probably stick with Milrose since it's South Florida. Yeah. You know, like if you're going to run him back out there at some point, you, you kind of. Well, isn't that, the, isn't that the point? It's South Florida and they're going so to get into the their SEC dude. schedule, see what Tyler Buchner can right. do under the lights. I guess, I guess that's the thought. I think ultimately, I know I just trashed Jalen Milrow in a lot of ways. He seems like their best option. <laughs> that's and that's why I'm, he that's started the year as the starter. Yeah. Mm. You know, like every, they had plenty of time. Yeah, you had camp, Through bro. spring camp and fall camp, yeah. somebody could have distinguished themselves and. There's Jalen Milrow at the end. Right. So I just I have a hard time believing Tyler Bookner, Ty Simpson, Eli Holstein, like anybody else is going to step up. This is this is scary hours for Bama. Which I, <laughs> I, I to, to be completely honest with you, this is this is Whoa. this is a strange this is a strange time because I you didn't see anything. Let's be honest though, Alabama. Let's say by chance, which people will think this is a possibility after watching them lose to Texas at home. Let's say they go nine and three. That's a disaster in Tuscaloosa, isn't it? Yeah, that's a disaster. I I've, I've taught my boss, who's a Bama fan, uh, has has been like season's over. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, different standards. The they have different standards. <laughs> yeah. Clearly, I've been a Mississippi State fan too long. They that? lost to the number 11 team <laughs> yeah. in the country last like, week, and it's like season's y'all, over. Y'all throw it away. You played Texas. <laughs> they have studs like. Your old offensive coordinator, who's freaking amazing at offense, like you know, and it wasn't a terrible effort. Like, and here's the other part. Speaking of the old offensive coordinator that's at Texas, Nick Saban, a big part of this season is the staff is not near as good as it has been right. in the past. He doesn't have the big names anymore. I mean, it was well, like think about, and I know that he's going through his things, but Mel Tucker. <laughs> There was Lane Kiffin, there was Sark, there was Bill O'Brien, there was uh, you just keep, Dan yeah. Lanning, Mike Loxley, right. Kirby Smart. You just keep going down and you see all these big names. Now Butch it's Jones. Now yeah. it's now, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, as an analyst. The tree doesn't now, always now fall you see, perfectly. Now you see yeah. Kevin Steele right. and Tommy yeah. Reese. It's just not the the, yeah. the staff is not the same, and I think that's been underplayed through this whole process as well. Yeah.
go down the road to Ole Miss. Um, this is this is tough. I'll just read it here. Ole Miss football player DeSanto Rollins alleged that head coach Lane Kiffin was, here's the quote, malicious, intentional, willful. Um, is it wanton? Hmm? Is that the word? Yeah, is, why? Yeah, the word well, is wanton. It's, it would be it would be a, a lawyer word. That's a lawyer word, right? It, there. Okay, what is the define wanton? I don't know. I don't it's know. not wantons. It's like, not uh, wantons. Okay. No, uh, grossly reckless. Sorry, I had to stop on that word. <laughs> I'm not going to act like I didn't know what it was. Uh, grossly reckless and indifferent. Rollins' mental health is in this uh, federal lawsuit that seeks forty million dollars in damages. Um, uh, you know, he was on campus at Ole Miss. Got kicked off the team. Wanton means. Uh, uh, let's oh, see. Oh, did you look it up? It for means us? deliberate and unprovoked. Okay, well, we're getting so we're learning, that. and it's we're illegal speak. Uh, now, deliberate de- and unprovoked. So he's saying he didn't do anything to cause this. Yes, yes. Okay. He took a two-week absence away from the facility. I'll get to all that. Yeah. Now, uh, DeSanto Rollins, 6'4", 290. He came out of uh, uh, Louisiana, Baton Rouge in 2020. He was a three-star recruit. Um, this was a guy that they thought was going to sort of shape out for them. He never He wasn't that good, though, when he got to campus. Um, but that's that's beside the point. This lawsuit, it was filed on uh, Thursday in the U.S. District Court of Northern uh, Mississippi. Um, Kiffin and Ole Miss are the defendants. According to the complaint, Rollins, who remains listed on the Ole Miss roster, and he is still on uh, scholarship, uh, he alleged that Kiffin ignored signs indicating he was suffering from depression following an injury last season, further exacerbated by his grandmother's recent death earlier this year. So he was going through it mentally. Um, and then Ole Miss Athletics has said in a statement, DeSanto was never removed from the football team and remains on scholarship. In addition, he continues to have an opportunity to receive all of the resources and advantages that are afforded to our student athletes. Um, but I, they're, they're sort of a... So a, he still gets his scholarship. Yes, they have he not still taken gets his scholarship, scholarship. But he's apparently gotten kicked off the team. If you go through, um, I believe Rollins recorded a a conversation that he had with Kiffin when he finally showed back up to the facility after two weeks of a leave for his mental health, and there was just some back and forth in there. Mm. At one point, you had Lane Kiffin calling him a p-word. It got it got in there, but I'll, I'll say this: uh, Ooh, I read that boy. I read that conversation. I guess in this day and age, when you see it out front, and you know, there's people that haven't been behind the scenes, haven't been in those locker rooms, haven't seen how coaches usually talk to their players. Mm, right. Like people are going to yeah. be surprised by it. I read it. Uh, up and down, and it sort of felt like Lane Kiffin was going after Rollins because Rollins did not tell him that he was going to take two weeks away from mental health. And then Lane Kiffin kept trying to call him in, and Rollins refused to come in to the facility to talk to him or anything, even when he was still on the team. Good interpretation And then by the end, Rollins is sort of going back at him and saying, why are you you saying I skipped two weeks? Why are you – I had a mental health break. Okay. And yeah, Lane Kiffin yeah. on the back end is is still going in <sighs> on him, but I've heard worse. I, I'll say that so behind we'll, closed doors. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah. This is I, I hate to be the guy because I know we're an opinion business, and I know we have right, to yeah. sort of have a thought process on how these things are going to go. I don't know how this goes. Right. Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin listed as defendant. I would imagine, based on the fact that there is actual proof of a conversation where it sort of comes across as Lane Kiffin is bullying a guy with mental health. Um, and they haven't kicked off any women for mental health, uh, having mental health leaves. They haven't kicked off any white players in that entire orbit for uh, uh, for mental health, taking a mental health leave. He's he's going to try to make this case. I would imagine this is a settlement behind closed doors that we don't necessarily hear about. It's it's a shame though because um, 
I think Lane Kiffin's doing a good job at Ole Miss, but this definitely puts a, a damper on everything to see a, a player come out and said, I've been bullied by this guy and I'm having mental health issues from my grandma dying mm. and uh, just from from general, you know, the general depression that comes with sure. playing football in college. So it's, it's, a, it's a struggle. Um, Let me ask you but this. But I think this will be a settlement. Let me ask you this, and I mean this sincerely. Does every football player that ever played the sport deal with some sort of mental? Um... Yes, but you can't. You can't. I mean, mental health struggles show up differently in different people. Right. Some people can truly handle the lows. Right. Some people cannot. cannot. Yeah. You know, it's just like in a workplace, right? There's right. there's some people that can handle the stress a lot better than others, yeah. and I think that's similar with the with the. Uh, with with a football locker room, and I mean, yeah. as much as Lane Kiffin, I don't think he, especially in that conversation, people are going to say he stepped over the line. I've because of the peas and the word, wording, yeah, and the and all the wording style. and everything else. Yeah, um, yeah. I I I think that this is just Lane Kiffin not understanding the type of struggle that Desanto Rollins was going through in the moment, and ultimately he got caught on a recording saying what he said to him. So like I again, I think this ends in some type of settlement, but this is I think a lot of maybe a little bit too much is going to be made out of this thing when when Lane Kiffin is no different than a lot of coaches around college football who deal with the same things, you know. If 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 a if a player <laughs> if a player does not show up to a facility when a coach asks him to over a two-week period, I can tell you there's about 100 – I mean, how many FBS schools we have? 131 right now or 133? Uh, yeah. 133, I think we're at. There's yeah. 133 of 133 FBS coaches that would have an issue with that, and I think Lane Kiffin just sort of got caught in a bad spot here. It's rough. It's rough for Ole Miss, and, and they're going to have to deal with this throughout a season that looks wide open, by the way. Looks wide open for, for them Miss? in the SEC. They just beat Tulane. You have Alabama down, uh, <laughs> lost a game. LSU lost a game. I'm not saying they're going to beat – those teams, but I'm just, I, I mean, yeah, this, I mean this based is, on this what is Arkansas has done go now, make something happen. Yeah, I mean, Arkansas down, Mississippi State down, Alabama down, LSU. I, I actually like Ole Miss in that division, right? I, I don't, I mean, I like, I don't like them to win it, but because I still think LSU and Bama are going to be great. You think one of those two and not Ole Miss? I mean, I'd still have like Tulane's to. really good. I mean, yeah, I know, but they like Alabama and LSU, you're. It, those two teams are going to have to prove to me as the season goes along that they're bad, like that they well, can lose, that they're capable of losing another game. Well, I gotta but see. They, they've only lost out of conference games, so I'm not, I'm not all that concerned yet. We'll see what they look like when they get into the SEC. I, I'm looking up the spread for this weekend's Mississippi State LSU game. It's actually close. What is the spread? I'm pretty. Let me check really quick. Okay, I should have found. Um, it it's now. it's it's very close though, from what I understand. Like closer than you think because it's in Starkville. Yeah, it's in Miss. Uh, nine and a half. Nine and a half for LSU. Well, for some of us that's close. For some of us that's far. Well, you think that's you think that's long? Uh, I was hoping it would be smaller than that. Oh, but I think that's indicative of how poorly Mississippi State played against Arizona last week. Okay. Um, you gonna they, throw some scratch on the plus nine and a half? What you got? Um. What you got, Brad? If I had to bet it, I would bet LSU is is probably going to take care of the business and and probably beat the crap out of of them. As a fan, I was hoping it would be smaller. <laughs> I get you, you see how I did that? I get you. I'm one of the few fans who can be realistic while at the same time acknowledging my deficiencies. I get you. you now that, that'll do like it. Like last night, excited they won Memphis. 
Not excited about the game. Not excited about yes. <laughs> okay, There's see, some I bad football out there. Yeah. yeah, I hear you. I hear you. There's nuance in, in conversations yes. that we have around these things. Yeah, no, I get it. But that'll do it for the Blitz. One more segment left of the day. One more segment left in the week. That's going to be the Rewind when we return on the Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM ESPN. Now it's the Rewind. Now we play it like Rewind. Brought to you by Memphis Barbecue Company. Rewind on 92.9. Memphis wins, although uh, needless to say, it was not pretty <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. In that in that fourth quarter, as we got later, the amount of turnover. I mean, we had that game was on acid. You had fumble <laughs> on the goal line by by uh, Blake Watson, who had got them down there with a 69 yard run, and he looked good last night. Yeah, he did. Uh, you had the Navy fumble. Then you had a Seth Hennigan INT on just like I under, did he underthrow the ball. I can't understand that. Um, then the refs at the end of that game tried to give Navy a spot that they didn't earn. They tried to give them the old uh, service academy that spot. That was brutal. That was a service academy yes, spot, but then they reviewed it and they they, they yep, sort of back. changed it, moved it back, and yep. the Tigers ultimately got to knee it out. Um, but that game was all over the place. All in all, I think it was bad football played last night. The defense couldn't tackle, but I'm not going to hold it against them. It was a short week. Yep. They they didn't get to hit at practice. Ryan, so, uh, I mean, Coach Silverfield said that after the game. They didn't hit because they had the short week. Um, but now they're going to have a long week against Mizzou. What can they do? I think 3-0 is 3-0. Um, and I think Mizzou in St. Louis, we learned the most we've learned to date. That's that's pretty simple. I think people understand that. But today was a loaded show. Alyssa Lang joined from SEC Network, had Jeff Calkins, um, and also got you some pick with picks for the weekend with Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports. If you want to listen to the whole show, listen to those interviews, Download the Odyssey app and search 9290 What's the biggest game tonight? Presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. I'm going to skip tonight. Um, quite frankly, I, I I don't feel good about a, a Utah State Air Force game. Yeah, go I, tomorrow. I don't, I don't really know. Yeah. Um, but tomorrow late, we're going to have Colorado State at Colorado. Maybe I would have hey. stayed away from this if Jay Norvell didn't open his big fat <laughs> mouth and give him bulletin board material. But give me Colorado minus a 23 and a half. You can go get that number at FanDuel right now. The glasses and hat will be on. He's gifted the team his glasses, which are $67 retail. Did you so see I that? So I was wondering. Uh, Good Lord. I, I, we can talk off air about how the NIL stuff on that works or the, the money. or I guess it's legal through the NCAA. I mean, this it's, is, just, I, it's a gift from a coach and this, it's cool. Well, yeah, or that's board. fine. That's fine. Okay. Yeah, it's like right. team-issued gear, basically, Got it. Okay. if you will. I, but these are these are, these are are Dion's glasses. But they're legit that he sells. expensive glasses. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is he sells them via okay. his site. Oh, good his, to know. It's his I'll business. I'll go get some. Um, but Jay Norvell made this thing personal. He talked about mamas. Uh, I think we see a huge game from Shador Sanders. Uh, Colorado State has played one game against Washington State. They lost 50-24. to And Washington State quarterback Cam Ward, who's good, but he was 37 for 49, 451, and three TDs, and he ran one in as well. Shadur Sanders is about to cook. There's no doubt about it. Fast forward. Fast forward. Uh, week three of college football. Week two of the NFL. We'll have two Monday night football games. Uh, next time we convene, that'll be Saints at Panthers, then Browns at Steelers. But that's a wrap for today and a wrap for the week. Thanks to Alyssa Lang, Lee Sterling, and Jeff Calkins for their contributions to today's show. We'll meet back here at the same time on Monday. In the meantime, I'm going to go ahead and pass you off to Amber and Ian. For Brad, I'm Gabe. Be easy, be safe, and enjoy your weekend.